Um, one other quick announcement is that uh, we have another Welcome to Harbor class. That's our membership seminar um, that's coming up. And so if you'd like, if you missed the last one, we had a number of folks say, oh, I really want to do this, but I couldn't make the day. Um, we're going to schedule another one. And so if you want to be a part of that, um, send an email to Chad Gray. His information is in the bulletin uh, up there at the top on page one. And just let us know that you want to be a part of the Welcome to Harbor seminar. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll coordinate details on that. And then finally, um, if you're a guest with us, um, special welcome to you. There's, an in, there's a connection card in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and grab that, fill it out. Um, we'd love to have a record of you being with us. We'd love to send you a thank you letter. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to help you, um, we'd love to know about that. You can fill this out and drop it in one of the offering boxes. There's one up here on the stage. There's also one back on the info table. Um, or you can hand it to someone that brought you or me after the service as well. So let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to bring his blessings to our city and then to bless us as we come to his word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that you are showing yourself strong with Connections Housing and with the downtown partnership of all the churches with the city. God, thank you. We see your kingdom coming. We see your renewal of the city happening. Um, as the church works with city officials, works with volunteers, works with businesses. Lord, when we're all working together on common cause to bring things that are part of your heart to people who don't have, Lord, we pray that you would bless these efforts. We pray, God, that your spirit and your presence would fill all that is done and that you would raise up many from our church family to be a part of it. God, what a privilege it is to be your hands and feet. Uh, what a privilege it is to have an opportunity not just to be concerned about homelessness in San Diego, but to do something about it. Uh, Lord, thank you for the, the folks who have been homeless, who have been part of our family, our brothers and sisters. Um, we thank you for them and the faith that they have and the lessons that they have taught us. And we pray that through this effort, God, more of your kingdom would come and this city would be renewed. And Lord, now we come to your word, and God, we ask that you would help us to sit humbly at your feet. Would you please open your word to our hearts? Would you please show us who you are from your word so that we can know you better, so that we can follow you, we can understand your grace and your power? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn in it to Romans chapter 5. Um, if you don't, the scripture is, see, you're going to be up here on the screen. It's also in your bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be looking at Romans 5, the first five verses. And we're going to be talking today about hope. About hope. So this is Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Friends, listen. This is God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. So as we start a a new year, as we look out at 2013, I think that the thing that we need more than anything else is hope. We need hope. And hope is what this passage is about today. You remember the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, right? There's that phrase in there that just catches me. It says, says, the thrill of hope makes the weary world rejoice. It's the thrill of hope that brings forth a new and glorious morning. That's what hope does. Hope brings freedom. Hope brings new beginnings. Hope brings possibilities for this coming year. And hope is found three times. Did you hear it when we read our passage? Um, It's there at the end of verse 2. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then verse uh, verse 4, the end of verse 4, character produces hope. And then verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Bottom line is that the thrill of hope makes life worth living. Okay, the thrill of hope makes life worth living. And so hope, hope can actually make you look forward to this new year. Okay, I don't know if where you're at, I don't know if you've done any planning, if you've thought about the new year or not, but if you have hope, hope can cause you to look forward to this new year. And you can experience the thrill of hope today today as we look into this. And so we're going to see a number of things from this passage. The first thing we're going to see is that hope affects everything. Hope affects everything. Okay? Hear this. If you have hope, if you have hope, then life is worth living no matter how bad things get. Okay? If you have hope, then life is worth living no matter how bad things get. And the opposite's true, too. If you don't have hope, then life is not worth living, no matter how good things are. Right? How many people do you know who have more than you, or have something that you don't have, and you wish you had what they had, and you look at them, and they're not happy, and you think, why aren't you happy? I'd be happy if I were... Right? If you don't have hope... Life is not worth living no matter how good things are. But if you have hope, then life is worth living no matter how bad things get. That's exciting. That's the thrill of hope. It's the thrill of hope. So let's talk about a definition. Ah, Definition of hope. Hope is a positive expectation of something in the future. Okay? It's a positive expectation of something in the future. Okay, we can say it a different way. It's confidence that the future will be better than today. Confidence that the future will be better than today. And and we need to realize that hope is an emotion. Okay, hope is a feeling that you have. It's the feeling that comes from believing that something good is coming. Right? And so it's a feeling. And this affects everything about us. 
who you are, the kind of person that you are, the way that you think, the way that you feel, your attitudes, the way you relate to people, all of that, all of that is influenced an incredible amount by whether or not you have hope. If you are confidently looking forward to the future, it's going to affect the way that you live. It's going to affect the things that you see, actually. You ask somebody, how was your day? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this um, last Friday. I was coming home from work, and I, I called Lainey. I was like, yeah, I'm on my way home. She's like, oh, how was your day? And my initial reaction was, well, like I started thinking about the things that frustrated me from, from that day. And I, said, and I caught myself, and I'm like, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. I don't need to do that. And I said, you know what? There were some really good things that happened today. And it was, it was amazing because it was, it was my sense of, wait, wait, I have hope. I have hope that caused me to look back at my day and see different things. Right? And so our hope, it affects, whether we have hope, affects everything about us. Attitudes, words, how we relate to others, everything. It's interesting. So a rabbi in a Nazi concentration camp okay, said this to his son. So at Auschwitz, he said this. He said, humans can live three weeks without food. They can live three days without water, but only three minutes without hope. Three minutes without hope. Now, when you see this, I think when he says three minutes without hope, I mean, all of us, when we lose hope, like we're still alive, right? We don't fall over and die. But what happens is this slow internal decay, right? You know what I'm talking about. When you don't have hope, all of a sudden there's a ball and a chain that's around your neck and it drags you down little by little by little. Within three minutes, you begin to collapse inside. There's some pretty interesting um, illustrations of this in the movies today. Les Mis, if you've seen Les Mis, the new movie out, the musical, wow, an incredible, incredible set of pictures about what life is like without hope, right? Jean Valjean, um, he's in the, the, the priest's home having dinner, and they're having a conversation, and at one point, Jean Valjean says, he says, yeah, 19 years, now the real punishment begins. Right? He has no hope. There is no hope for him. And so he ends up going back to his life of crime. Right? There's no hope. And then another character, Fantine. Right? Fantine, oh my goodness, she loses all hope. She has this job and she's trying to support a daughter that's, that's being cared for by another family and her daughter's needs continue to escalate. She doesn't have enough money to provide for her or for herself. And then she loses her job. She loses her job, and so she loses hope. And so what does she do? Well, she sells her hair, and then she sells her teeth, and then she sells her body in this awful decay, this downward spiral into hopelessness. Her life falls apart, and then she sings this lament. She sings this, she says, I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. 
I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. But the tigers came at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart and they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. The movie has her singing while she's half lying, half sitting in a coffin where a John just left. When hope is lost, life is not worth living. You might not be this far down. You might not feel like you're living in the grave already. But I've found, again, that hopelessness, what it does is it drags us down slowly. Men lose hope that their marriage will ever get any better, and they just check out. Right? Parents lose hope and they despair because they don't think they can connect to their children and they just give up. Right? People lose hope that they're ever going to grow past their struggles with their sin, with their addiction, with their bad habits. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope? Are you confident that the future is going to be better than today. If you don't, you can get hope today. You can get hope today. Why? Well, the second thing we want to see today is that hope is a noun and a verb. Hope is a noun and a verb. If you don't listen to anything that I say, except for one thing, listen to this. Just take away that hope is a noun and a verb. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting because I've always understood hope as a noun. I've always thought, oh, yeah, yeah, it's this confidence that you have, that the future will be better than today. It's this confidence from a Christian perspective um, that, that Jesus is renewing people and the world. That's what he's doing now, and things are going to continue. He's going to continue to renew people and cities and neighborhoods. He's going to continue to renew things until he makes everything perfect. Right? And it's this confidence that you have. It's this confidence, that you, this hope that you have. But, it's interesting, four months ago, I was studying this passage, and I realized, oh, wait a minute, hope is also a verb. It's also a verb. Write this down. We don't just need hope. We need to hope. Are you with me? We don't just need hope, we need to hope, right? And it's funny because this is actually the point of hope, right? This is the thing. Hope is the thing that we're supposed to do when life falls apart, right? right? I mean, think about it. It's when we're stuck that we need to hope. It's when we're frustrated that is when we hope. That's actually the definition of hope right? It's when circumstances are bad. That's the time to hope, okay? When we don't have hope, that's the time to hope. 
Okay, and, and this is what Romans 8 says. This is Romans 8, verse 24. It says just this. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Right? The point is that if you can see that things are getting better, well then, that's kind of not really hope. <laughs> right? The point is that when stuff is bad, when things are bad, that's when you have to hope. Right? That's when you need to hope. That's when you need to exercise your hope. And so, and, and it's interesting because the way this actually works is that hope is something you do in order to have. Okay? So I've just said it a bunch of ways. Hope is a verb and a noun, right? Hope is something that you do in order to have. So if you want to have hope today, then you need to hope. You need to begin to believe that things are going to get better. You need to begin to have confidence that the future is going to be better than today. But does this really work? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm just, hey, power of positive thinking, right? Come on, y'all, let's, let's just all think it's going to get better, and it will. Right? That's the secret. That's the book, the secret. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the mentality there. You can make your own reality just by hoping it into existence, right? Wrong. Wrong. That's not how it is. In fact, what's the easiest way to prove that that's not how it works? The lottery. <laughs> right? How many billions of people bought lottery tickets last year? Right? Billions. Billions of lottery tickets get sold. And every person, I mean, I'm sure there's some who don't have any hope that they're going to win. But normally, the act of buying a ticket is an exercise of hope, that you hope that you're going to win. And the reality is that though billions of tickets are sold, no one hoping to win the lottery will do nothing to enable you to win the lottery. Okay? Hoping to win the lottery doesn't make you win the lottery, no matter how much hope you have. And so this brings up in a really, really important point. And that is that hope can thrill when it comes true. Right? But when it doesn't, hope disappoints. And hope actually brings us to shame. Because when we hope in something and it doesn't happen, we put ourselves out. And whether people see it or not, we feel that sense of being left hanging. We feel that sense of shame or that disappointment. And what's interesting, though, here is that the hope that Paul is describing in this passage in Romans, he says in verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say hope does not disappoint. And so he's saying that there is a kind of hope you can have that will not put you to shame, that will never let you down. And this is the hope that Jesus offers. This is the hope that Jesus offers. And so the third thing that we're going to see is that Jesus' hope comes from the gospel. This hope that Paul is describing is the hope that comes from Jesus and it comes to us from the gospel, which is good news. It's good news. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of have a little bit of an exercise here with you. I want you to think about how you would answer 
the following question. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you think about this? Ask yourself this question. If the one true God loved me, loved me with all that he is, if the one true God loved me, how would I be different as a person? Okay, if the one true God loved me, how would I be different as a person? Think about the answer. How would you answer that question? How would my relationships be different? Right, if the one true God loved me, how would I be affected by that love? As I've thought about that this week, for me, if the one true God loved me, I would be patient, I would be understanding, and I'd be courageous. Okay, I'd be patient and understanding because God's love is patient and understanding with me. And I'd be courageous because God's love drives away my fears and my insecurities. And so, if God loved me, then I would be more patient, understanding, and courageous. And so, I can hope to become that way in the future. I can hope that I'll be that way. And you know why? It's because verse 5 says that that hope will not put me to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The person that you want to be, the person that you imagined that you would be like if God were only to love you, if God were to shower on you his love, if God were to pour his love into you so that your heart would be so full that it overflowed, the kind of person that you would be you can hope to become that person. Because if you're a Christian, the Bible says God has loved you that way already. God does love you that way already. Do you see that in the verse? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Right? What this is saying here is that you can have confidence in the future because you have already begun to experience God's love. And if you're a Christian, so now, right now, I'm just talking to Christians. Don't you know this? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your heart? Like You sense God's presence, right? You know that you've been loved by God. God has filled your heart and your life with his love. You have his spirit. God is near to you. There's times where you feel close to him. That is God's love poured out in your hearts. And, and it's interesting because sometimes we feel that, and, we, and you know what I'm talking about, and you're like, yeah, 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 I do. I understand this, and I do have this love poured out in my heart. And sometimes we think, well, I, I used to feel that way. <laughs> I felt that way, I don't know, last year, uh, you know, about six months ago, or when I had this experience at church, or when I went to this conference, or when I had this, you know, 
I mean, we, we, we can pick times where we have felt that closeness with God, where we felt his Holy Spirit in us. That's his loving, powerful presence. But what's interesting is that God's love is poured out beyond our experience, okay? More than what we experience. Because look at what Paul says in the rest of this, of this passage. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so what that means to be justified by faith. This means that God, if you believe in Jesus, if you're a Christian, God has declared that you are forgiven. God has wiped away all of your sins. Everything you've ever done in the past and everything you will ever do in the future has been forgiven. God has pronounced over you a legal declaration of forgiveness. You have been justified by faith. That's God's love. Verse 1 also then says, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, you're not in conflict with God anymore. The war is over. You are on God's side. More importantly, God is on your side. And so this is why verse 2 says, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And the idea here, the idea here is that God's love has been poured out into your life. So God has poured forgiveness over you. God has poured peace over you. God has poured his grace over you. And that is true whether you feel it or not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that God's love is real whether or not we feel it. Man, this is the love that's been poured out. And Paul makes it really clear that we didn't do anything to earn this. In verse 1, we're justified by faith. We're justified because we believe in Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right? So you don't earn these blessings from God. You just need to trust in Jesus. When you commit to following Jesus, these blessings are yours because God sheds his love abroad. He pours his love out over you. He pours his love out. And so it's interesting because this is why we can hope. We can be confident in the future because God's love is real today. God's love is real today. And this is what separates Christian hope from hope that exists outside of Christianity. So here's a good book, uh, a quote from a good book called Faithful Feelings. Talking about hope, it says this. In the New Testament, hope had the power to uplift and encourage in the present because it was based on sure future expectations. Hope in the New Testament is the same emotion that is found in the world, the difference in Christian hope is the object of the emotion. When you hope to win the lottery, what's the object of that hope? Who's going to make that happen? Nothing. But when you hope that your marriage will improve this year, 
you can base that hope on the reality that Jesus has loved you more than you will ever know. It's the object of our hope. The real key is what are you hoping in? Or for Christians, it's who are you hoping in? When we hope in Jesus, it brings steadfast confidence. It makes life worth living no matter how bad things get. And this is why we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that when we suffer, at the end of the process, or in the middle of the process of suffering, our hope is going to grow. And that's an amazing thing, because our hope never puts us to shame. Our hope never puts us to shame. So now, I want to address um, those of you who aren't Christians. I know that we have in our church family folks that come and, and they're checking Christianity out. You're here in some ways because you want to understand what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so I want to address you. Um, if you choose to follow Jesus, God will bless you with this hope. Right? He will give you this hope with this love and grace and peace. You'll have these gifts. And so if you follow Jesus, God's love will bless you. But before you follow Jesus, God's love invites you. Okay? When you follow Jesus, God's love will bless you with all these things that we're talking about, with a sure and steadfast hope and a confidence in the future. But until, before you trust in Jesus, God's love is poured out and he invites you in. He's inviting you to follow Jesus. He's saying, you know, it's your sin that separates you from me, but I stand ready to forgive. I stand ready to forgive. I sent my son. I loved you so much that I sent my son, and Jesus entered into your despair on the cross when he died so that you never, ever have to. And if you'll trust in him, I will forgive you because he paid for your sins. That's how you get this hope. And so, so the fourth thing we want to see is that Jesus' hope comes from the gospel, and then Jesus' hope affects everything. Jesus' hope affects everything. It's interesting, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. So, our lives are characterized by hope. So you can have a living hope, a hope that is alive, that's part of who you are, that's part of your life. It's this growing and maturing confidence in the future. And so what does this look like? What does it look like to have this hope? If hope is the most important thing that I think you could have facing a new year, what exactly does hope look like? Let's talk about the outcomes of hope. And I want to give these to you, not because I want you to memorize them. We're actually going to spend the rest of our lives together as a church. As long as you are in San Diego and part of Harbor Church, we're going to be learning and growing into this hope. Okay? But these are the outcomes. When you learn to hope with the hope that Jesus gives you, this is what it looks like. First, if you have hope, it means deep personal 
affirmation. So against your doubts, against your self-consciousness, against your self, uh, against your weaknesses, against the things that you don't like about yourself, God replaces that. When you have hope, God gives you a deep personal affirmation. God affirms you to the core of your being because he loves you. Jesus died. He conquers your doubt and your despair on the cross. And so that God now says, I love you. I love you just the way you are. If nothing about you changes, I will take you as you are. That's where hope starts. Second, then hope affects relationships. Makes you strong enough to serve. The idea here is that, in the, is that our deepest needs are met by God so that your relationships now, you can enter into relationships and you can serve because God has met your needs. This hope affects truth. It gives you a humble confidence in God's word. So in the whirlwind of conflicting ideas and opinions in the world, we have confidence in Jesus and in the Bible. And then it makes us people who do evangelism, who share, right? Because if you have this, how could you hide this from other people, right? But it gives us humble hope toward non-Christians. Humble hope. So we live out our hope, and then we offer our hope to our non-Christian friends, family members, co-workers, and neighbors. If you have this hope, you will share this hope. And then this hope causes us to be all about service. We care for the needs of our community. And so this is us loving our church community, loving our family, and loving the city around us. This is why we're engaged in mercy ministry. This is why we care about homelessness. Why we care not just about homelessness, but we care about bringing the city officials together with business owners and the faith community. Right? This is part of serving the city. And serving love is our first and it's our consistent face to the city. And all along the way, as we serve, we share the hope that we have. And then six, our hope affects our work. It affects the work that you do. Whether you're in an office, you work from home, or your work is managing the home. Right? Work. Hope gives, makes work a meaningful part of your mission. Jesus' hope affirms the significance of work. Because our work reflects God. It provides for our needs. It supports the church and it's actually where we show the hope of the gospel. And so this is what hope will do in your life if you have it. And if you don't have it, you need to do it. Right? I want to invite you to use hope as a verb until you have it as a noun. And so here's the transition that I want everyone to go through this year. We want you to go to transition from I hope that I, that I hope that my life will have, will mean something before it's all over. Sorry, I butchered that. Um, I want you to go from saying, I have hope that my life will mean something before it's all over. I mean, I want you to hope that now, if that's where you are. Like, I want you to hope that. 
But I want you to go from that to saying, I now have hope that my life does mean something. Are you with me? I want you to go from here to here. To go from hope is a verb to hope is a noun. And the last thing I want to say, just real quick, the fifth thing, something you need to know about hope, hope dies when you are by yourself. Hope dies when you are by yourself. You cannot do this alone. And we don't want you to do it alone. As your pastor, I don't want you to have to do this on your own. We're going to hope this year together. We're going to hope this year together. We've got new groups coming. We're going to be um, augmenting the way our small group systems work. And we're going to be talking about what the changes are that, that are coming for the rest of this month. Okay? And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to follow Jesus together. Together. And so today, as you, I, I want to stretch, I want to invite you to hope. I want you to have hope, to see it as a noun and a verb. And then I want you to ask yourself, who is it in your life that can fuel your hope? Who can fuel your hope? And then just as important, whose hope can you fuel and encourage? It's hope. Hope will make 2013 a good year. Let's pray together.